I got thinking about a song that I used to like to sing, and like a lot of songs. They can't put them all in every hymn, though, you know. But this song said, What though the way be lonely, and dark the shadows fall, I know where'er it leadeth, my Father planned it all. I sing through the shade and the sunshine, I'll trust him whatever befall. I sing, for I cannot be silent, my Father planned it all. That was the emphasis last week, the will of the Father, the planning of the Father. Today we're going to be uniquely considering the willingness and the work of God the Son. Hebrews 10, 1 to 18. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh, Christ. Wherefore, when Christ cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God, above, when Christ said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. The Father planned it all. The Father, he taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. What? He taketh away the first revelation under the law in order to establish the ultimate revelation, the Lord. The Lord has replaced the law. The law was first. The Lord was second and final. By the which will the Father's will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, capital M, after he, capital H, had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting, till his enemies be made his footstool. 
For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after that he said, had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission or forgiveness of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Because the Lord has replaced the law. Father, help us to enter into the logic of the text. It is profound beyond our simple understanding. And it makes this preacher nervous to talk about things publicly that are barely grasped. And yet the word is clear. And we will indeed boldly proclaim the blessedness of thy Son, our Savior. And particularly today, as we think upon the willingness of God the Son to come and to be our Savior. And the work of God the Son, that we might be saved. We thank and praise you. We look to you for help. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. I remind you that it was a personal conversation in a highly secured location, and none of the three directly involved were surveilled so that we might know what was said, or by whom. Yet, it was the absolute intention from the get-go that this most hidden conversation would be revealed to us, that we would not only know about it, but that we would be able to specifically respond to it. And so today we work with that text of Scripture that contains an embedded conversation that took place in eternity past among the Godhead. Specifically, we are informed of what God the Son said to God the Father, and the Father to the Son just before the Incarnation. And we are made deliberately aware of this conversation by the written witness statement of God the Spirit. The text is of triune emphasis that takes our finite minds to the brink of the infinite. This text takes our minds to places they would not naturally ever go. We have here insider information from the very realm of God. We have clear information about God the Father's will, his intention from eternity past, in reference to God the Son's willingness and work, as we'll cover it today. And then that which is linked to the Spirit of God's word. Without this word of the Spirit of God in our hands, written, we wouldn't know anything about this. 
And so it is uniquely the Father's will. It is uniquely the Son's willingness and work. And it is uniquely the Spirit-given Word that allows us to say anything about these things. Because if any one prong of that threefold uh, emphasis were to be missing, uh, I literally would have nothing to say. Last week, we considered the wow and the now of God the Father. And today, we're working with the wow and the now of God the Son. Last week, our focus was upon the determinative will of the Father. And today, it is upon the willingness and the work of God the Son. Now, we talk about the work of God the Son often, as we should. But I want to call your attention and alert you to the fact that in today's study in Hebrews 10, there is a particular point of emphasis upon the willingness of God the Son to do that work to save us. I'm reminded of a time a number of years ago when we had a ladies' gathering, and it was determined that uh, the men would do their best not only to serve uh, the ladies, but to uh, operate a nursery uh, for the young mothers. And uh, thinking that I would avoid uh, some hassle, I volunteered to be in the nursery. And eventually, a dear man came to me with a, hand, a baby in his hands and with fear in his eyes, and he said, Pastor! And he handed me this raunchy, smelling little kid. Now, I was the kind of dad that uh, was not unaccustomed to changing diapers uh, as it related to my own sons. But I mean to tell you that changing the diapers of somebody else's kid is a challenge uh, to this preacher. And, uh, and on that particular day, I'll never forget it, but on that particular day, when I opened up the prize, wow. <laughs> I just about lost it. I mean it. I was, uh, I was uh, well, I don't need to tell you any more details, but, <laughs> but I was. And to be honest, I learned something that day. And that is that I never wanted to be willing to do that again. It takes a unique brand of submission. It takes a unique brand of willingness to volunteer to do something that is just yuck. And that's what my Lord did for me. And that's what your Lord did for you. And so as we move and try you an emphasis from the will of God the Father, we today camp on the willingness in relationship to the work of God the Son, as the text talks about it, to deal with the yuck of our sin. And if you don't think that was yuck for the Lord, I just remind you that the scripture is absolutely clear that he 
who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't just smell the yuck. He didn't just taste the yuck. He bore the yuck of my sin and yours. This passage underscores the willingness and the work of God the Son. I remind you that Hebrews chapter 7, 8, and 9 are a unit of logic and presentation concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The 10th chapter is where the extended contrast between the law and the Lord culminates with the truth of the greatness of our Savior. And it also brings to bear, as Charles Ryrie says it, the irrefutable fact that Christ's redemption needs no repetition nor supplementation. We want to re-enter the logic of the text at verse 5. Wherefore, when Christ cometh into the world, that's Christmas, that's incarnation, he saith, sacrifice and offering wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Think of that exact moment of the appointment in time when God the Father sent his Son into the world. We're talking about the greatest of all mysteries. We're talking about the incarnation. We are speaking about that moment in time in which God the Son became man. I have a birthday. You have a birthday. I didn't decide when it was going to be. But God the Son did. According to the will of God the Father. The world is by and large glad to say in the upcoming season of the year, Merry Christmas. Merry being spelled M-E-R-R-Y. But you and I tell the truth of Merry Christmas. M-A-R-Y. And the work of God the Spirit, causing Mary to conceive the Christ. But before the conception of Christ, in the womb of Mary, God the Son had something profound to say to God the Father, as reported in Hebrews 10 and verse 5. We are of that camp that not only believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, a birth not involving a man, but we believe that God the Son could speak about it before he was born. And you and I have the words he spoke before he was conceived in the womb of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 10.5, this record of divine intercommunication has profound things to teach us about the Father, about the Son, about the Spirit. But this morning we're looking at the willingness and the work of the Savior in sacrifice for our sins. No animal could ever decide to be a bloody victim of sacrifice. No animal blood could ever actually work 
to eliminate the guilt of sin. We've studied those principles from the text previously. But God the Son was willing and personally decisive to become the actual victim of sacrifice that would work to eliminate the guilt of sin and death. This is the thread line of truth that we are pursuing this morning. And we begin with a reminder of those prophecies of old. Two of King David's prophetic songs are brought to bear as revelation of the mind of God, the mind and words of God the Son to God the Father, and the Father to the Son. The first text, as most of you know, as is quoted in Hebrews 10.5 all the way down through verse 9, comes from Psalm 40. Turn there, please. Psalm 45 to 8. David, 700 plus years before the birth of Christ, wrote, 45, 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts, which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burn offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then I, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will. O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Everything in those verses leave us upon reading with a thought that David was being very insightful about the limits of his own relationship with God under the law and that David was, as king, willing to serve his Lord according to that law. David the king, willing to serve Yahweh according to the law of Yahweh. But our New Testament text in Hebrews reveals that Psalm 40, particularly 6 to 8, are actually the red-letter words of God the Son, the Son of David, before his birth. And the more that I read those words, and I think about the development of how Hebrews unfolds with first emphasis upon the Father's will, and then emphasis upon the Son's work. I began to see in Psalm 45 something of the Father's will, even as David wrote of it as his own expression, before the clear reference to the Son's willingness to work. And in fact, 45 again says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. 
If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You were on the mind of God. You were on the mind of God. I was on the mind of God. I was on the mind of God. You were on the mind of God. You were on the mind of God. You were on the mind of God. And then in this inner divine Godhead communication, Father to Son and Son to Father, the plan of salvation by way of decree is hatched. And then at the point of incarnation, the Son says, sacrifice and offerings thou didst not desire. My ear thou hast opened, which has to do with an all in the ear of a servant. Uh, uh, often burnt offering and sin offering uh, hast thou not required. Uh, uh, then I said, lo, I come. I want to. I'm willing. The willingness of the Son, of which we're told about in Hebrews chapter 10, flows right out of the fact that God has had us on his mind from eternity past. And that based upon having us on his mind from eternity past, he determinatively willed that we would be forever his. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. To God the Father. And wow concerning God the Son, to enter into that nursery of humanity that is all stunk up and be willing to deal with the thing as the only one that could deal with it. Wow. Well, the other passage from David is Psalm 110. Psalm 110. We'll get that before we move back to Hebrews. I already flipped my Bible because I forgot where I was. But in Psalm 110, you have the most quoted messianic prophecy in the entire New Testament. Psalm 110 is quoted more than any other Messianic prophecy. And it is Psalm 110.1 where you have uh, King David uh, hearing uh, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, speak to his Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Now, in the minds of the people, David was a Lord, L-O-R-D. But in this case, David is hearing something said to his Lord, capital L-O-R-D, as said by capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And uh, David is king, in essence, is hearing something said to his king. So who's the king of David? Well, the son of David, the Lord Jesus. And who is God the Father speaking to here but God the Son? Now, I'm not saying that in every case, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, uh, exclusively refers to the Father. In fact, in many places, it absolutely refers to God the Son. And in other cases, it absolutely refers to God the Spirit. In some cases, I can't tell which. But the reality is, it's clear here. Psalm 110, 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, 
Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And that's why Hebrews 10 is going to tell us that Jesus is in heaven right now expecting. Just like a woman who knows that after the doctor says, you're pregnant. And she thought she was before she went. Once the doctor says it, then you can count the months. And then we say that she is in a period of expecting. And what is she expecting? Well, she's expecting a baby. And now Jesus is in heaven expecting. And what is he expecting? He's expecting that all of his enemies will be brought underfoot. Because that is exactly what the Father promised him in this inner communication this divine inner communication that took place in eternity past. And just for the sake of the whole of it, just let me finish reading Psalm 110. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. The head, which is the head of the church. Christ, the Messiah. That is the single most quoted messianic psalm in all of the New Testament. It, too, is brought to bear in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, in these two prophetic words of divine intercommunication, you have phenomenal access into the mind of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Hebrews 10.5 informs us that God the Son knew that the Father's saving intent did not culminate in sacrifices under the law. Jesus says, in essence, to the Father, I know you have never been forever pleased by the sacrifice of animals. I know that is not ever, ever, ever been a, an element of pleasure for you. He knew that the Father in addition to never being pleased about those animal sacrifices, he also knew that the Father had prepared, by way of a plan, a body, a body of sacrifice for Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 and verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, Christ saith, sacrifice and offering Thou wouldest not, but a body. Here's what you want, Father. You want me to have a body. You want me to have a human body. 
You want me to have a human body of sacrifice so that I can lay down my life for those that are lost in their sins to your purposes and to your pleasure. God the Father prepared a human body of sacrifice for God the Son. For God the Son. Now the thrust of Psalm 40, as quoted in verse 7, Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. And next week we'll say, who wrote it? The Spirit of God through the pen of David. But here we're saying today, that we're looking at the willingness of God the Son. Uh, then said I, God the Son, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. It is the willing desire of God the Son to do the will of God the Father. The thrust of Psalm 40, as quoted in verse 7 and again in verse 9 in Hebrews 10, is placed upon the willingness of God the Son to come in the flesh and to do that sacrificial work in the will of the Father. This emphasis upon the body of the Lord's sacrifice is purposely uh, uh, projected and profound. You'll see verse 5, uh, prepared, but a body hast thou prepared for me. And down in verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus. How important was it that we hang on to the truth that Jesus actually died in the flesh and rose again the third day? It is eternally important. The highest of human expression of commitment and submission always involves a person's body. Thus the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar described the three Hebrew children as having yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Daniel 2.28 Thus we honor the body of a dead soldier and speak of him as having made the ultimate sacrifice. The will of God the Father meshed perfectly with the willingness of God the Son for the work to be accomplished at the cross. And being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Philippians 2.8 The body work of Christ in sacrifice brings reality to the thing that the law only foreshadowed. Namely, relational completion with God. And that brings us then this morning to the willingness and the work of God the Son that results in the perfection of the saints. Look again at verse 10. By the which will 
we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth, uh, standeth daily ministering and offering uh, oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, henceforth expecting, Psalm 110, verse 1, till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected or completed forever them that are holy eyes, sanctified. What's the truth? The truth is, is that because Jesus Christ was willing, and because Jesus Christ did the work that God the Father planned for him, by the eternal spirit facilitating him, you and I can talk about a sure salvation. You and I can say, I don't think so. I know so. I know I'm saved. I know I'm God's. The only reason we can do that is because of the willing work of God the Father. Again, look at verse 1. And the law's inability to make anyone relationally perfect or complete before God. The comers in the Old Testament era could not be made complete. But now in contrast, verse 14. There is indeed relational perfection now available in Christ. And I say now because beautifully, beautifully, Verse 14 declares that by that one sacrifice of offering at the cross, Christ has, past tense, perfected, past tense, forever, them, you, me, all of us, that are sanctified or holyized. You can and should take verses 12 to 14 as the declarative summary of the Christological overview of this entire text, of this entire section of Hebrews, Hebrews 7 to 10, and very frankly, really, verse 14 is indeed like the single verse explanation of the book called Hebrews. He hath, past tense, perfected or made complete them, those believing in his name like us, that are made holy. Gromacki says it this way, through the cross, Christ perfected every believer. The verb focuses upon the event of regeneration and the permanent standing of spiritual completeness which resulted from our conversion. Therefore, we talk about the three tenses and we talk about the three senses of our salvation and we have three big words to think about concerning the past sense of justification and its forever result, the current sense of sanctification and its developing result, and the ultimate sense of glorification and the prospects that we have of being done, done, done in Christ. This standing of the believer in Jesus in the accomplishment of a perfect salvation is expressed by the Apostle Paul 
as possessing, quote, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. Peter speaks of the believer's possession by the divine power of God, saying, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I just tell you, wow. I just say to you, wow. I just say to you, wow. Because of the willingness and the saving work of the Lord Jesus, we possess a permanent standing in holiness as God himself is holy. And it is on that basis that the spiritual reality of living appeal is made throughout the New Testament. You are a saint by faith in Christ. Live like it. Don't aspire to be something you are not. Just live consistently with what you actually are by the willing work of God the Son and the will of God the Father. Blessed be the Father. Blessed be the Son. Blessed be the Spirit. Blessed be the three in one. All praise to God the Father. All praise to God the Son. All praise to God the Spirit. All praise to the three in one. Father, thank you this morning for the listening ear and a text that just staggers our mind with profundity but causes us to sing in our souls the doxology and to bring praise and honor and glory to thy blessed and holy name. Help us then as we continue to week in, week out, and especially this week, new week before us, as we seek to give our minds and our hearts and our mouths to the faithful communication of the Lord Jesus. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.